Today, this morning, I'm going to begin a new sermon series on a subject that's mentioned almost 2,000 times in the Bible. And it's a subject that causes a great deal of trouble for a great many people. If I ask you to raise your hand today, if your tongue has ever gotten you into trouble, I suspect that every hand in this room, there's one back there already, every hand in this room would go up. Every one. Because every single one of us has had the experience of saying something and then wishing we hadn't said it. Wishing that we could take it back. But we can't. Because once it's said, it's said. Story is told about a young woman who had just been hired by a large corporation. True story. Part of her responsibility was to train the, the company employees in proper dress and conduct on the job. So one day in the corporate headquarters, as she was stepping onto the elevator, a man very casually dressed in jeans and a golf shirt got on the elevator with her. So thinking about her authority and her job responsibilities, she said to him in a very scolding way, dressed a little casually today, aren't you? And the man replied, that's one of the benefits of owning the company. Now at that point she was probably wishing that she hadn't made that little comment. My next six sermons, starting with this one today, are going to be a series of lessons on that topic, taming the tongue, taming the tongue. And today I'm calling the introduction to this series, Words That Build Up and Not Tear Down. Most of us grew up hearing the good advice Think before you speak. You know, studies have shown that the average person speaks at least 7,000 words per day. And for some, it's a lot more than that. And that's a lot of words. And that's a whole lot of chances for us to say the wrong thing. 
You know, communication is the process of expressing how we feel and what we think. On the one hand, the words that we use can embarrass and discourage and hurt. But on the other hand, the words that we use have the power to heal and to help, to encourage and to build up. There's an old saying that we've all probably heard that says, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But you know, that old saying is not true. The real truth is, sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can break our hearts. Our words have power, and they carry weight. And that is why the Bible gives us so much guidance and so many warnings about communication. When I started the sermon just a few moments ago, I said that this was a subject mentioned almost 2,000 times in the Bible. So to prove that I'm not exaggerating that, let's look at how many times the Bible uses the words tongue, talk, speech, speak, lips, mouth, and the word words. The word tongue appears 150 times in the New King James Version of the Bible. The word talk and forms of it appear 81 times. The word speech is used 51 times. And the words speak and speaking are used 636 times. The word lips is used 117 times, and the word mouth is used 395 times. And finally, the word words is used 545 times in the Bible. So when you add them all up, you can see that the Bible indeed mentions the subject of communication almost 2,000 times. Before you pull out your phones to add it up, I'll do it for you, 1,975 times to be exact. So with the subject of our communication being addressed and mentioned so often in the Bible, we can expect to find some important and some helpful commands and warnings and advice. And here are just a few of them from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
Now we're going to come back at the end of the sermon and we're going to talk some more about that one. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Proverbs 10, verse 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. It's good advice there. Proverbs 15, 23, A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. In Proverbs 25, 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Those are some very simple, but some very powerful truths about learning to wisely control our tongues. Those would actually be some good verses to commit to memory. When James, the brother of Jesus, wrote his letter, By inspiration, he pointed out how important the tongue is to our overall lives. In James 1.26, he wrote, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. You know, that verse may hit some of us like a like a ton of bricks. You see, if you and I are serious about walking with God and serving God in the Christian life, then priority number one has to be speaking words that build up and not tear down. James says that if we don't properly use our tongues then our our religion is useless, worthless. That's a very strong statement. James is trying to drive home to his readers, including us, how serious this subject is. And I hope that as we go through this series of, of, of sermons, that you'll take it seriously. James wants us to understand just how destructive and how negative the tongue can be. You see, the negative influence of the tongue can undo and cancel out an otherwise godly life. Did everybody hear that? Does everybody see that? But on a more positive note, James wrote in chapter 3, verse 2, in the text that Caleb read, James says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. 
That's an equally strong statement. Now, the word perfect in that verse does not mean sinless, but it really means mature. You see, James is trying to drive home how important the tongue is to everything else in our lives. Everything. James is really saying, if we can master the use of the tongue, then we can master everything else. But that's not easy to do. That is not easy to do, and James goes on to explain to us why, why taming the tongue is so hard, so challenging. So this morning, let's take a look at three points that James makes in chapter 3 that can help us to understand the challenge that we face in taming the tongue. First of all, James says that the tongue is small, but powerful. And James illustrates that point with, with three common examples that were true in his time, and they are just as true today, in 2021. He first reminds us that very large horses are controlled by a very small bit. In chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. As you know, horses are large and incredibly powerful. Some of them weigh up to... 2,000 pounds. But even a small child who knows what he or she is doing can control and direct a large horse by the small bit that's placed in the horse's mouth and is connected to the reins. The secret of the bit is the fact that it's placed in one of the horse's most sensitive spots. Most of us, maybe in, a, maybe in a dentist office, have had two or three fingers in our mouths at one time, pulling in different directions, and it's not too comfortable. And that's actually the principle of the horse's bit. The tongue is small, but powerful, James says like a horse's bit. Second example that James uses to make his point is that a large ship is steered by a small rudder. James says in verse 4 in the text, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Some of you may have been on large ships, like cruise ships. Some of those ships are like floating cities, hundreds of feet long, weighing, weighing thousands of tons. 
And yet they are steered by a very small rudder in comparison to their size. The third example that James uses to make his point is the fact that a tiny spark, he says, can start a huge fire. He says in verse 5, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. You know, just about every year in some of the western states, we see huge amounts of damage and destruction being done as forest fires and wildfires sweep across hundreds and thousands of acres of land. Here's a map showing the locations of fires that were burning in different parts of the West during August of last year. And according to that map, there were fires burning in every one of the Western states at that time. And that's not always confined just to the Western states. Most of you remember the fall of 2016, almost five years ago, when the weather in Tennessee and surrounding states had been extremely dry for weeks and weeks with little or no rain. Parts of the southeast were in a, in a severe drought, as this map is showing. Fire danger was high. On November 23rd, 2016, a small fire was reported near the chimney tops area of the Smokies, about five miles from Gatlinburg. The National Park Service decided that the fire was in a, a rugged area too hard to fight. And they planned to just contain it and let it burn itself out. But by November the 27th, the fire was still burning and spreading. And three helicopters were brought in to dump water on the fire to try to stop its spread. By the next day, November 28th, that fire had turned into a fire storm that was spreading quickly because of high winds up to 87 miles per hour. That's hurricane force winds. The high wind blew sparks into the, into the Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge areas and that started new fires that, that rapidly spread. City of Gatlinburg had to be evacuated. The fires caught local and federal officials unprepared, and the fires took the lives of 14 people and caused millions and millions of dollars in damages. This is all that was left of the Gatlinburg Church of Christ building after the fires. 
It was later determined that the original fire near the chimney tops was likely started by two teenagers on a trail, dropping lit matches on the ground. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So what is James' first point with these three examples of a horse's bit and a ship's rudder and forest fires. James is saying that the tongue is only a small little part of the human body, but it causes all kinds of trouble. Pound for pound, the tongue is very small but it is also very powerful. The second point that James makes in chapter 3 is that the tongue is uncontrollably dangerous. And again, James goes back to the illustration of fire. In verse 6 he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. It only takes a small, tiny spark. But once a fire really gets going, it can be difficult to stop. Ask anybody who is a firefighter, like Jason Lynn. James then mentions the fact that we have tamed, we have tamed many kinds of wild animals. In verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. You know, today we can go to a zoo and we can see wild animals who are tamed. James says that we can tame them. But in verse 8 he says, No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Now, that verse might bring to mind a poisonous snake on the loose. You know, there aren't too many things that I'm really and truly afraid of. But a snake that I know is poisonous is one of them. The tongue is uncontrollably dangerous. It can set on fire the whole course of a person's life. It can destroy reputations and families and futures. The third point that James makes about the tongue in chapter 3 is that the tongue is terribly inconsistent. He says in verses 9 and 10, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. How sad it is. How sad it is that we can be using our tongues 
to praise God in worship, in song, and in prayer. And then five minutes after we leave, we can be using our tongues to criticize somebody in the congregation or put somebody down or losing our tempers with somebody in the car. Our tongues are indeed terribly inconsistent. And so James says in verse 10, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. And then in verses 11 and 12, he asks a couple of a couple of rhetorical questions, and those are questions that have obvious answers. He says, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? So what's the answer to those questions? The answer obviously is no. He says in verse 12, Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. If a spring gives salt water, it's going to always give salt water. I have an apple tree in my yard that's loaded this year. But I guarantee, without a shadow of a doubt, that it's loaded with apples not oranges. James' advice for us is to be more consistent with our tongues. If we're going to be God's people, then the output or the fruit of our tongues should be consistently godly and good. So these are three points from James in chapter 3 about the tongue. And I think we would all agree today that our experience in life agrees with his description. First of all, he says the tongue is small but powerful. Secondly, he says the tongue is uncontrollably dangerous. And thirdly, the tongue is terribly inconsistent. So how should we respond to these warnings? Should we just give up and give in to the negative power of the tongue? Well, no, of course not. God wants us to tame the tongue and with his help, with his help, we can. Why would God give us so many commands in other parts of the Bible about our speech if there is no possibility that we can learn to control our tongues? So working toward having a transformed, a controlled tongue should be a top priority for all of us who want to please and, and serve God. Unfortunately, Many people, even sometimes in the church, many people become insensitive to the problem of damaging, destructive speech. 
It's kind of like the story that you may have heard, the old story of the frog in the frying pan, who doesn't realize that the heat is being turned up, slowly turned up, until it's too late. His nerve endings become desensitized in the hot water. And like the frog, we too can numb our spiritual nerve endings. If we allow careless and sinful communication to become a common and acceptable part of our lives, then we're assuming that a carnal, worldly tongue is okay. It's par for the spiritual course. And folks, if that happens, if that happens, then our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our friendships, our church, and even our relationship with God will all be damaged or destroyed. In this series on taming the tongue, I've divided the sins of the tongue into five categories. And we're going to study a lesson, a sermon, on each one. Although they may not be in this order, Profanity and expletives that violate the dignity of God's name and moral purity must be deleted from our speech. Another sermon in the series will deal with the cancer of murmuring, complaining, and a contentious tongue. Verbal ego trips, like bragging, flattery, and exaggeration, are displeasing to God. And we're going to study why. We need to know how God feels and what God's word says about sins of the tongue, like deceit, lying, bearing false witness. And last but not least, we need to realize the danger of social sins of the tongue like gossip, spreading rumors, and slander. Now, if anyone here is thinking that none of those sins of the tongue would ever, ever be present in the church, you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. So as we begin this series today, let me quickly mention four points that I hope you'll be thinking about seriously after we leave today. I hope this won't be a subject and a study that, that you'll forget all about by this time tomorrow. First of all, let's be asking God for help. You know, prayer is always a good place to begin anything. And let's begin by confessing to God that we all, we all, people of any age, young and older, 
we all sometimes have a problem with our tongues and we need his help. Let's pray for the ability to control our tongues, especially in those challenging times of communication that we may find ourselves in. It may be a, it may be a frustrating, aggravating moment with somebody in your family. It may be a tempting moment when we might pass on a rumor or make fun of somebody or put somebody down in some way. It might be a moment when it's easy to deceive or speak less than the truth. Or it might be a moment when our, when our egos kick in and bragging and boastful words come out of our mouths. A second thing that I would suggest is be a little slower to speak. You know, a big step in taming the tongue is just developing the habit of, of slowing down our response just a little. If we can just delay or hesitate for a second or even less before making those, those negative comments of some kind, it may give us time to think about and weigh our words. Earlier we mentioned the good advice that we've all probably heard, think before you speak. Somebody has come up with this acrostic for the letters in the word think, T-H-I-N-K. Before you speak, Ask yourself, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring or encouraging? Is it necessary and is it kind? I read a story about a woman who had a, a serious throat condition and the doctors told her that the only way for her to recover and get better was to rest her voice, rest her vocal cords for six months. Six months. So for six months, she was unable to say a single word to anybody about anything. That'd be hard for a lot of us to do. For six months, all of her communication with others had to be written down on paper. So after the six months was up, she was able to talk again. She was asked what it was like to communicate only in writing. And she said this, You'd be surprised how many notes I wadded up and threw in the trash can before I gave them to anyone. Seeing my words on paper had an effect on me that I don't think I will ever forget. 
You know, in our age today, when most of us do a whole lot of communicating by text or email or social media or some messenger app, we need to be slow in hitting that send button. And we need to weigh our words. Think before you speak. A third thing that I would suggest is to have heart surgery, if necessary. In two places in the book of Matthew, that's exactly what Jesus prescribed. In Matthew 12, 34, he said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Matthew 15, 19, he said, for out of the heart, Proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You see, if we don't want hurtful, wicked words coming out of our mouths, then we need God's help. We need God's help to get the bad stuff out of our hearts. Now, the good news is that Jesus is the great physician as we sing in the song. And he specializes in heart transplants. And finally, I would remind all of us that we will meet our words at the judgment. And folks, that ought to be a frightening sobering thought. Back on April 3rd, I preached a sermon here called Death is Not the End. You may or may not remember it. But in that sermon, I made the point that Judgment Day is going to be Pronouncement Day when we will all find out why we are lost or saved. And that fact, that fact is confirmed in Matthew chapter 12 in relation to our speech, our words, when Jesus said this. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. And look at this next sentence. Think hard about it. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Now, if, if that sentence doesn't convince you of the importance of this subject, then I don't know what will. I hope and pray that every one of us can learn to use our tongues for good, and not for evil. The tongue has the power of life and death. And I, I hope and I pray that we can learn to speak words that build up the lives of others and not tear them down. I'm going to close today with two brief, true stories that illustrate the power 
of life and death that our words can have. Some of you, some of you closer to my age, may remember a brother and sister singing group from the 1970s called the Carpenters, Richard and Karen Carpenter. They had several popular hit songs during the 70s. Karen Carpenter had a beautiful singing voice, but sadly, tragically, she died of heart failure at the young age of 32. The cause of her death was a fatal heart attack brought on by years of dealing with the eating disorder, anorexia. After she died, it came to light that her fatal obsession with her weight was caused and triggered by one single reviewer's comment. In his review, this man, this reviewer called her Richard's chubby little sister. That man wrote something negative about her making fun of her appearance. And it killed her. It killed her. Now I'm sure there were other factors involved that added to her problems, but that one comment started a wave of negative feelings and self-doubt. That one comment was the beginning. You see, as Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. The other story is told by a man who made a friend while he was in college. Man's friend had a, had a bright red birthmark that covered a large part of his face something like the young man in the picture. After the man got to know him well in college, he finally had the courage one day to ask him about his face, what it was like to go through life with that birthmark in such a prominent place. And his friend said this, when I was very young, my father told me that God had given me the birthmark so that he could always pick me out of a crowd. And then his friend said, you know, I grew up feeling sorry for those who didn't have a birthmark. You see, that father had spoken words of life. And those words had transformed his son's life. The tongue has the power of life and death. Let's learn how to speak life. Speak words that build up. 
and not tear down. A moment ago, we said that our words would either justify us or condemn us at the day of judgment. But if you're not a Christian today, a member of God's family, the church, then your destiny is certain. Your destiny is certain, and you have no hope of salvation. But today, you can have that hope, that assurance, by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, by turning away from your sins in repentance, by confessing the name of Jesus and making him the Lord of your life, by being immersed then in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins, and then by living a new and a faithful life in Christ. And that faithful life in Christ should include the desire and the effort to tame our tongues with God's help. If you need to respond to the invitation of Christ in any way today to confess sin in a public way or to ask for the prayers of the church or to obey the gospel, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing.